Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loo, the new and extended baby range. Very welcome to the Motherboard Podcast. This podcast series will feature real mums talking about the beautiful but often hard work of raising children today. On this episode of Motherboard, we will be discussing the issue of infertility. And joining me in the studio is fertility coach Helena Tuberty, meteorologist and co-founder of Pomegranate Joanna Donnelly, and last but certainly not least, mum of one and blogger of the Woman and the Apron.com, Alison. Collins, who is here to share her journey on becoming a mum. So you're all very welcome and thank you so much. Before we start in doing the research today, I saw some of the like the info about this is fascinating, some of the stats on it. So one in six people are affected by fertility issues. That's one in six couples. Every year, approximately 2,000 Irish couples receive IVF treatment. And that's just IVF. That's not actually including all the other treatments. And it's now believed that fertility issues lie 50% with women. And 50% with men. But a lot of the time, it's only the woman stuff that we hear about. It's an issue that affects so many people. But I think it's something that a lot of people just aren't either comfortable talking about or it's just too difficult. So I think that's what today is about to kind of allow that conversation to happen. Joanna, you found yourself struggling to conceive with your second child, which is kind of a secondary infertility. So the first one no problems and then the second one can you tell me a little bit about that sort of a journey yeah because when you have a baby naturally your your assumption is well first of all you you start your life assuming that you're going to have a baby you never assume that there's going to be any issues um we spend probably decades trying to avoid pregnancy and then think okay i'll just start now yeah Um, if you go into convent school it's like you look at a man and you're going to get pregnant yeah yeah patent leather shoes and all that sort of stuff so um the surprise when I couldn't conceive naturally the second time was really blindsided me. And I was luckily enough on a, a mother a parenting forum. And from there, it went moved to other forums. But I ended up talking about infertility online, not knowing anything about it. I didn't know how to track my cycle even. And I was a scientist that did really well in science and I still didn't really know anything about how to track my cycle, cervical mucus, anything. Um, quickly came so up to speed. it was a whole speed. new world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Quickly came up to speed on it. Um, as a scientist, as a perfectionist, as somebody who has a bit OCD-ish. And you kind of thought, I'll... I'll just do this. Do this and then we'll be And then we'll be around. Yeah. I'll check this box. Uh, they say you should do this. I'll do this. Um... But nothing seemed to be coming of it for in real time. Looking back, it was very, very short period of time. It was two but years. At, but at the time, but I'm at sure the it time, felt agonizingly long. Every every weeks. And you know? I suppose your life was in your life was in two week periods. And every, every fourth can feel like kind of yeah. failure. You know, it, oh. there's there's a disappointment at every turn, yeah. you know, when, it, well, when it's I, not I, successful. I broke my life into two week periods and I, I hadn't smoked in 10 years before then. And then towards the end of this when I was coming you know I was a good two years into the trying to conceive process and I was devastated I used to smoke on the first day of my period that's kind of a treat and then I and would a rebellion. stop when my period stopped because then I was back in trying to conceive again so obviously I wasn't going to smoke but you were just under so much stress and it was awful but then um, I I agreed to take part in this podcast and I was looking at the dates and funnily enough today being Valentine's Day mm-hmm. is the day I got my positive pregnancy test with my IVF baby. Okay, amazing. 12 years ago. So a very happy anniversary. Yeah, we were talking about it um, with him 
the other day because I like to include my children in all conversations of everything. And that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, know, there's nothing. Them, yeah, there should be nothing. Was, I was, he's looking at me, and he knows he's IVF baby. He's known forever. He doesn't know. I've told him what IVF is, then he forgets. But tell him again, and he's looking at me, going, "Oh, mom, you found out on Valentine's Day. Oh, you found Valentine's Day." And I was like, "Is that really cute?" <laughs> yes, you are. And it is. It's such a lovely thing when you have that success. And I'm sure mm-hmm. getting that, like, I'm sure you remember that moment so clearly. I do. And I remember the support from the girls online. There was another girl with me. I'll never forget her. Um, actually, we're still friends, so I don't have to forget her. And um, she she was successful at her IVF cycle. We were doing the IVF cycle in tandem. We had never met, but we were, you know. It's that peer support is so important. Yeah, I'm sure it can yeah, feel very isolated. Yeah, but she's still my friend That's now, you know, we, we, we stay in touch. So, um, but I, I'll never forget that time we went through. And I'll never forget, even though it's now 12 years ago, I'll never forget the feelings of helplessness devastation, loss, disappointment, failure every month when the bleed came and you knew, oh, another another month gone. I'm getting closer to the end of this and still no baby. And um, so then after we had Tobias, um, I was breastfeeding for a long time and my period finally came back. Mm-hmm. I had one bleed and then I fell pregnant again. Isn't that amazing? After and having spent yeah, such a long time. Yeah. And I remember when I got pregnant again, I said to my husband, oh, yeah. I'm I'm pregnant. He went, no. Can't be. Yes, I am. But we neither of us expected. Now, I had, while I was trying to conceive, I spent a fortune on those internet pregnancy tests. Those little green things. You remember those? I spent a fortune on them. I used to buy ordinary ones and then I soon cottoned on to, no, no, don't do I'll buy a batch of 50 online and that will do exactly. me for a few months and then I'll pee <laughs> on all one. 50 of them. And, oh, no, you pee. I'll pee on them three times a day. Maybe this one will be positive. Um, so then after I had him and then I fell pregnant with my free baby, as I call him, not to his face, um, <laughs> that uh, I didn't even test because I was so used to having these early miscarriages and I was okay. so used to having uh, the idea that I was pregnant for a, a few days or a few weeks and then I would bleed obesity um, that I didn't even take the test. I just carried around in my mind and my body knowing I was pregnant and just holding on to I could be pregnant and I knew I was pregnant. I could feel the heartburn. I could but feel you didn't the... want to allow yourself to get that yeah. excited. Because so when didn't... I finally tested and I, yes, I'm positively pregnant, um, we thought, well, this is really not fair. We had we'd been successful on our first try of IVF and we had the money to do IVF. And I was always thinking... There's a couple there now at the moment that need IVF, but it's so it's almost outside like a survivor's guilt that you yeah. yeah this 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 process is so expensive to some too many that they wouldn't even consider going to a private doctor because they just can't afford that. And I was thinking of those people and I was thinking that's just not right. It's just not fair. I can't be pregnant again. And there's a woman out here that can't even get to the doctor because she has no money. And it is such a complex, Selena, you must see that in your work, that there is such a complex psychology behind all of this and such a difficult psychological impact of infertility on couples as individuals and couples. Yes, indeed. And certainly um, infertility isn't caused by stress, but, you know, there is so much stress attached to it. And as Joanna said, it certainly is the two-week segments. So the horizon comes right in here. And it really, it's very isolating because other people are getting pregnant. Everyone, I, mean, I baby think that showers. must be so challenging because 
there is pregnancy everywhere. And I think that's one of the most difficult thing. I know friends who have had that, like everyone turns around, they're just getting pregnant left, right and centre. And I think that can be really tough when you're uh, struggling. And the wonderful thing about um, approaching menopause and um, I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm coming close, is that... What are you talking about? You only look 21. (laughs) Is that pregnancy is no longer everywhere. When you're going through infertility and when you're in the pregnancy is everywhere... I would say there is light at the end of the tunnel because someday there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> you just, actually, it's you very move into your you, lo- new phase of your life. You change, don't yeah, you? you yeah. Different groups. It's like, you know, yeah. with your kids at school and that. Yeah. But certainly for people who are going through infertility, um, or as I like to call it, fertility issues, I actually yeah. don't like these sort of infertility, you know, the yeah, labeling. The mm-hmm. And I never ask another woman now, do you have children? Have you got mm-hmm. kids? Mm-hmm. It will come up. It question. will come up. It's such a yeah. personal question. It's yeah. like, I've just miscarried last week. Yes. I've just had a peed on a stick this morning. I remember bursting out to somebody one day and, and saying that. Um, somebody said something along those lines. Or, when, or next baby coming. And I went, well, actually, I've just miscarried. Yeah. And the person nearly died when she, oh, my God, I can't believe. And, I, and then I nearly died. I can't believe I said that. I can't <laughs> believe I burst out. Have you found that as well? That, you know, that the language that people use or in your journey, did, what, what did you find the most challenging bit of it? <gasps> well, I think having PCOS I, and doing a lot of fertility treatment was you'd be very bloated. Yeah. You have a look of pregnancy. I always had a look of pregnancy. Yeah. So and I always had like a belly. So I always had and I was just married, like we got married in 2012. So people ask the so question all the time. And they're looking at you and they're looking at your belly and they're kind of going, so. Any news? Any news? Oh. And I'm like, really? Really? You're like, do people really still ask you this question? Mm-hmm. Um, and then after a certain at the time, people stop asking, asking you. Which That's nearly worse. That's nearly worse. worse. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They've almost yeah. given up for I've, you. I have yeah. to prepare people for Christmas. You know, coming up to Christmas, meeting the rallies. Christmas is the oh. hardest time. And I have front-loaded people. And the funniest thing is one person actually turned to an aunt of her husband's and, you know, the, the any news. And she said, we forgot. And apparently this person pulled up short and thought, you know, and actually turned out to be very sweet afterwards. But certainly I think the, you know, secondary infertility, the sense of you're being selfish, you're not mm-hmm. having another. Is there a little brother and sister mm-hmm. coming along? Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really hard. And it's like, you know, this child is going to grow up spoiled and selfish because you have been so mean not having another child. It's like, We've been trying. And it's not like you're, oh, hadn't thought of that. And the, <laughs> and then you feel the other guilt. Um, I'm not enjoying the child that I have. And the. What a ridiculous what am I, statement. Yeah, I'm it's not crazy. The, can you not just enjoy the one you have? Oh, oh, I forgot to give her a bath. I was so not noticed. I have a child. Oh, I missed that. You know, this talk about stating the obvious. Yeah. And Alison, did you find, how did you address when people said stupid things? How did you address it? Like you're in the middle of treatment. It's obviously really hard to talk about anyway. It depends when when people say it to you. It depends what humour you're in that day. Some days you're sensitive. Some days you are not at all sensitive. Um, I've always been very open about having fertility treatment. Were you able to talk to friends and say that you were starting treatment? Oh, everybody everybody knew. Yeah, I'm a talker and I know I'm in the minority, but that's how I cope with with anything in my life is like talking to Ron, number one, um, who was a great support. But I'd have a very close family. I'm the only girl in my house. So I'm very close to my cousins, um, three of them in particular. I call them my three musketeers because I relied very heavily on them for... So that support um, network was yeah, essential. Essential, absolutely. Um, also, I think online was 
hugely beneficial to me. I think being anonymous um, is is amazing and talking to people who are in exactly the same position as you are in. So you can be brutally honest with each other. You can be so honest every single night. I'd be sitting in bed with my phone and Ron would be looking at me like going, who in God's name are you on to there? <laughs> and I'm there like just chatting with my friends and seeing how they're getting on in their cycle and waiting for somebody to post that ever. You know, oh my goodness. Yeah. Waiting for them. Yeah. And, and actually now the there's yeah. still women that are on it that I'll still check in that haven't had their baby yet and I'm still have my fingers crossed fingers toes eyelids everything crossed but interestingly enough studies actually show that for quite a lot of people over time being on forums can be very very depressing and I actually see that that people are all chatty and cheerful on the forums and then when they come they're saying well yes I was you know supporting someone else yeah it's great and lots of emojis and stuff and my heart was actually breaking and it can put a very narrow focus so I do think that you know the way you guys used it managed it Mm. and got the very best from it Mm. that it's actually an important angle as well Mm. yeah I I think it's honesty is is, in this whole kind of situation it's so difficult for people to be brutally honest because I think as a woman like you said Alison that you are you know, it just it's assumed that you're going to have um, a baby, you mm. know, yeah. um, and Johnny, you said it as well. You're, you know, it's going to it's assumed we'll just, you know, be in a relationship and babies will follow. And when that doesn't happen to actually say, yeah, it's not happening for me, guys. One of, yeah. One of the fir- worst things I found when I was going through the medical end of things, because you think you go to the doctor, they find the problem, they fix it and you move on mm. with infertility. It's often they'll never find the problem. And this the unexplained infertility, one of the most say, frustrating not an, um, explanations un, yeah, ever. It's not that there's no problem. We just don't know what the problem is. And there is a problem. We don't know what it is. And I remember the doctors would call me and say, oh, we got the results of that test and all is fine. And I'd be, oh, damn it. But I'm still if, if, it, if everything was fine. Yeah. And we forget it's an art. I mean, you know, the, the medical degree for obstetrics is Bachelor in the Art of Obstetrics. And it's we try a little bit of this. We'll see it's worked. Studies show this has worked mm. well for mm. some people. So in fact, you're actually a scientific experiment, yeah. really, I, as a I couple. I would wish that there was a way they'd say, oh, yes, there was a problem there. Just take this pill, everything will be fine. And oh, everybody yes, thinks IVF problem. is a magic bullet. I mean, yeah. the number of people who jump straight into it mm-hmm. without front-loading or getting mm-hmm. their ducks in a row mm-hmm. and setting themselves up for success mm-hmm. as well. I'd love that to be tightened up. And I think it's wonderful that we're discussing this today, that people, you know, the sense of what you can do in advance. And, you know, on that point, what can people do? So somebody's, you know, at home, they haven't, they've been trying for a year. And by trying, I think it's really important to say it's not having sex once a month. Yes, um, the fertility. See, oh, absolutely. It's actually having regular sex and for all mo- through the month exactly. to actually get in, you know, for at least a year. And if that hasn't happening, what are the other things? That well, people I would can say do? actually there, Avril, that, you know, times are changing and it really is six months. OK, um, you know, that business of waiting a year really it doesn't carry much weight Certainly anymore. Certainly if you're getting close to which a lot of women are by the time and men, by the time they are in a position to start a family, yeah. you're nearly on the clock before you even and certainly you're so right Joanna that uh, you know men really need to step up to the plate women are inclined to protect men take the full burden of it I don't mm. want to disturb him I don't he's, he's mm. you know feeling bad about it I think they need to be on the same page and you know the sense of having been married a few years people putting on a little avoir du bois uh, you know I used to play football is what I hear from the blokes and it's like oh really when you know five six years ago and mm. it's kind of like lovely but you know perhaps you need to kind of get out you know the shedding of weight being at an adequate weight 
to so being maintain. fit and healthy. Being fit and healthy. As parents, you're planning to be a parent. Yeah, after absolutely. Yeah. I was with, saying your, that, yeah, with your with your not at all with your with your story though. You had been diagnosed with PCOS, which is for people who don't I, know polycystic ovarian so syndrome. So you knew there was there might yeah. be issues. Oh, I, I knew there was going to be issues. I never had a cycle, so I always knew there was going to be issues. So. um First thing I did was I went to my GP and I, I sat down with Ron, first of all, and had the, the chat with him saying, look, early on, going up with him a year and all I've ever wanted in my whole life is to have children. So um, I want to be proactive about it. So I said, look, um, there may not be babies. And he said, look, Alison, once, you know, the two of us are happy, that's all I care about. So I said, right, we're going to have to start trying. He's like, what? Start trying? Like, are you serious? And I'm like, well, it's not going to happen because I don't have a cycle. So I don't even know if I ovulate. Um, and as, as well, like yourself, I was so clueless about it. I didn't have a clue what even, what you had to do to find out, you know, not so a lot of people are on the pill. So it's, they yeah. haven't even been ovulating, that's you know, it. at you all, aside from the fact. That's actually my dream. I'm setting up, I'm doing a very simple little online course. The sense of, you know, the wedding dress has just been hung over the back of the chair. I mean, I, I do jest, but, you know, the sense of what can you do if you have an underlying condition? You were great because you jumped in and you started and, you know, you, you were really organized. But so many people, they're kind of shambling along. And it's, you know, like the tick list in a sense, just to help people focus a little bit and to, you know, project manage it. Mm-hmm. So it's not a kind of a loose, open ended nightmare that goes on and on and costs and costs and costs. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, people phone me all the time. And we'll have the little chat, you know, mm. well, we're thinking of or we've been sort of slightly trying and it's I will give them pointers. And I, I think we need a little bit more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Alison, you were saying that. So you were aware of the PCOS. Did you go straight to a fertility clinic no, or you I went didn't. to your GP first? I went to my GP first. Now, my GP at the time was like this old guy. He was the nicest guy in the world. He was the nicest GP. So he referred then to the woman doctor for the women's issues. Okay, women so, issues. Yeah, ML so off pains. I went off to her. And um, do you know what? I was really disappointed with how she didn't take me seriously. So you, you know? knew yourself this is going to be an I knew, issue I and knew. you wanted action. Oh, 100%. Did she tell you to relax? Oh, oh, before oh, she told me to relax. Oh, how she didn't I was telling, oh, no, I was telling my oh. uh, the the researcher yesterday that uh, our pomegranate T-shirts were we what which I is a wonderful it. name by thank the way. You. Yes, I love it. Yes, thank yeah. you. It was designed um, with the logo of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Do you remember Frankie Goes to Hollywood? Yeah. The T-shirt said "Relax," and our T-shirts say. Relax, just like a Frankie Goes to Hollywood t-shirt. And then it says, don't <laughs> tell oh, me to do relax. Yeah. It's, yeah. But, yeah. as I was saying the other day, it's actually being relaxed is a nice way to live. Being fit and healthy is a nice way to live. Having a good diet is a good way to live. Exactly. You're All of those things are good things yeah. to do. It's nice to, I used to get reflexology because I liked people rubbing my feet and it was very relaxing. I used to go straight to sleep. And that's all very well and good. It didn't get me pregnant. And I, Science got I me pregnant. Yeah. yeah, But it's nice to relax and it's yeah. nice to be fit and healthy and eat a good but diet. But the one thing about telling you to relax is if anyone oh. ever tells me to relax, literally my, it curls my like ears. Like everybody. Red rag to a You try like to relax that. while somebody's standing over you saying, now you goddamn relax right now. Yeah. <laughs> like sure. A, a, <laughs> yeah, ordering you to relax. So that's the end of part one. Don't go anywhere because in part two, we'll be hearing more about Alison's road to motherhood and the support system people need to put in place during their road to conception. Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loo, the new and extended baby range. Welcome back to part two of our Motherboard podcast. 
Alison, before the break, you were telling us about a little bit about your journey and, and similar. I was in the similar enough in that I was diagnosed with endometriosis a long time ago and I was aware that I might have issues. And then I got pregnant literally on, on honeymoon and actually ended up having an ectopic and lost a tube. So when I got pregnant with Felix, it was like a miracle. I was totally in my head thinking that I was going to have to start, you know, a, a very long journey for you with, you know, knowing that you were saying that you'd met Ron, you'd sat down, you'd started. How long did things then take from going to see the GP to actually getting treatment and, and how long did the treatment go on for? We decided that we were going to try for a baby and I was 29. So very young. Very in, young. Yeah. yeah, gave myself loads of time. And we got married in 2012. And then we had the appointment made for the Waterstone Clinic for that January. So that was about two years later of being sent to the endocrinologist beforehand, being put on glucophage for six months, which was a waste of time to try to um, get me to have a cycle, which was just so trying to induce a period. Yeah, absolutely. None of that worked. So we decided that we'd give ourselves a bit of time we'd go off and get married and do all those things. Because enjoy each enjoy other. Enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And then straight into it in 2012, um, we did two and a half years of treatment. Wow. So my our first meeting with Dr. Warstone, I'll still laugh about this because all I remember is him saying clamid. And the panic of clamid, this just makes you crazy and fat. I can't believe you're just starting clamid. Why am I not leaving this appointment with a baby in my arms? I know, because that's what you think. And, yeah. yeah. And one thing, knowing that you are going to have difficulties having a baby, but walking in the door of a fertility clinic is... Stomach churning. So hard. It's a slap in the face of this is your reality. This is my reality of my life. I cannot have a baby. So anyway, look, we I did what I was told. I said, look, I'll do one round of Clamid. Now, See I was hysterical crying, looking Aww. at Dr. Waterstone and all Ron took it because we actually talked about this last night. I said, Ron, what did you take out of that meeting? And he said, all I remember is Dr. Waterstone saying to me, you will have a baby. OK. And he 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 clung on to that. Because um, I said, how are you always so calm? And he said, I remember Dr. Watson saying. So he always was quite convinced, no matter how long the journey, that there was going to be yeah, a little. Baby. Yeah, he said, men think differently, Alison. There was going to be a baby. And we that was his to... focus. Absolutely. So started off doing the clamid, didn't work. Start, went on to OII, which is um, FSH injections. And so that's fo- follicular stimulating injections. So these yeah. are all uh, like so letters, but basically yeah. very complicated treatments that are trying to sort out different things, to try and tweak, to try and induce the cycle, to get eggs together, to try and get you pregnant, basically. Well, basically what it is is that I have lo- PCOS is... It's not, that you, it's, it's not that you have cysts, you know cysts, you have loads of eggs, but none of them will grow. Yeah. So you take these injections to try to make the eggs to grow. So then all you want is for two eggs to grow. And then you, um, so that'd be, that'd be OII. So we did a couple of rounds of OII, that didn't work. Then we did IOI, where they inject the sperm. So you think, yes, listen, let's go for this. That didn't work, did a few of those. And then on to IVF. I was really glad to get on to IVF. I just felt, look, I need to throw the kitchen sink at this. You this, felt yourself. Yeah. yeah. But this is all time, time, time. Plus the next round that you're going to go in for, the next month that you go in, it's like, oh, you've got a little follicle there. We have to wait for another month. So it's time, time, time. So time. you're getting cancel cycles because you're yeah. either getting nothing at all or too much. And I think that's for people at home. A lot of people don't understand that. So it isn't just uh, you go, they do your bloods. 
this is your thing, then blah, blah, blah. Bob's your uncle, you're pregnant. It, it's it's a much more circumnavigate, very complicated, time-consuming and heart-consuming journey. Yeah, but I think also, I think my journey was the right journey and I wouldn't have changed any of it because if I had gone in and if the IUI would have worked, wouldn't it have been great? Then I wouldn't have had to do IVF. Yeah, true. I think there are an awful lot of women out there that I've met that have gone in and have, have had done IUI and it has been great success for them. They've had families from it. So... Jumping into IVF necessarily mightn't be the first course of action. As you were saying, Helena, it's getting all of your ducks in a row before you're getting your treatment done, um, you know, to try and improve your, your body, but both mentally and physically and being ready. There is a, an interesting psychological aspect. <clears throat> Sometimes um, people may have some little bit of a mental block about being pregnant, being a mother, and that can be diffused in, you know, a matter of 15 minutes. It's not a big Freudian therapy thing, but to be mentally ready for IVF. And, you know, with the mindset, it's like training for a marathon to be in there with a hunger and a sense of deserving it, being greedy for it and ready for it really can make a difference. And studies do show that. I agree with you 100% because you have to have tunnel vision. Yeah. And almost like you said, Alison, that Ron said, we're going to have a baby. Yeah. So in his but head, I could never see the baby at the end. Yeah. And that's I what I do. And that is the thing. And I use a little bit of hypnosis as well. So that sense of when somebody can actually visualize, visualize. feeling, holding a warm little bundle of their own in their Without arms. Without it breaking their heart. Without, exactly. And, you know, that's that feeling of exactly to get to that stage. Mm. And that is, I suppose I provide a hand-holding experience that is as tailored for bringing so as the very it's best. It's all the holistic thing that you're at with the, in the care of a medical doctor. Yes. In the care of professionals. And not Google. I was going to say, I'm not wondering, you know, dancing under apple trees at midnight or something and standing in your head, which is the temptation. Or thinking. One of the things that I'd really like to touch on is actually the financial cost of this, because we've kind of talked about things in uh, kind of a roundabout way. But Alison, it's an incredibly, not only time investment, it's an incredible money investment. And I know, Johnny, you found that as well. There's a lot of money involved in this. I think myself and Ron were in a very fortunate position. We both had two full time jobs. We were renting. We didn't have a house at the time, so we didn't have that burden of, of paying a mortgage. Rent wasn't too high at the time, so we did have a little bit of disposable cash. So I don't think if I knew, if I, if I knew that it was going to cost as much as it did, you'd be like, I can't do this. Like, I could never afford it. But it's you're paying things as you go along. So you start off, you could be paying the first round of OII, then the next round of I, IUI, and you, and, you, and you get the money. I think... I remember when I got married, I remember turning around to my dad saying, like, how in God's name do people pay for weddings? And he said, Alison, don't worry about money. Look, and I'm, I'm talking coming from a fortunate position, you know, that I was lucky that I did have support from family and I would have been able to borrow money if I needed to. But it was very daunting to kind of go, oh, my God, this is going to cost so much. And but to pay for all the IVFs, like we did three IVFs, the first IVF, um, we overstimulated. That was probably the worst day of my entire life. And I'll never forget. Um, and, and cost doesn't come into any of this. You know, the emotional yeah, cost the emotional is what's emotional cost huge. on you and your relationship. Um, that, was the, that was definitely, I wasn't prepared for it. It was just, it was so difficult. Um, I remember Margaret, one of the nurses, she brought me into a room. I was literally in state collapse um, that they had to cancel it. And then the next round I did was... Um, why I underproduced, so that was cancelled, and then so the one over, one under, one but under. on the third on time, on the third, then I got um, sixteen eggs, seven of them fertilised, and 
three of them lasted to freezing. I could not have a fresh transfer because I got... You'd overstimulated. I overstimulated. Yeah. Of course I did. Yeah. The 1%. Yeah. Yeah, that was me. No, I overstimulated too. Ah, sure, and frozen, <laughs> frozen transfers are actually now uh, being recommended. Mm. That yeah. They're very highly successful. To recuperate yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. allow exactly. your body and your brain yeah. a little yeah. bit of yeah. time. And I know, Joanna, with pomegranate, the work that you do, it's, it's in trying to support people. So it's peer support. So you've been there and I know mm. your co-founder has as well. So to try and support people, but also give people kind of a realistic idea of what they're going through and some support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we had our third child for free without any intervention, um, I said to Harm that we needed to help people that couldn't be as fortunate as us. And so got together with Fiona McPhillips and we set up Pomegranate. It was supposed to be, we were, we didn't mean to set up a charity. Nobody in their right mind would actually go out and set up a charity. It's it's. But you felt there was a need for yeah, it. Yeah, well, no, we didn't want to do such a thing. <laughs> we um, wanted to help somebody. That's what we wanted to do. So I called up the clinic that I had just been successful from and I asked, um, who's helping people? Who can I go to to give some money to to help people? And he because said, it can nobody. Because prohibitively expensive. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted to give some money to somebody to help them do the thing that we could which is a really laudable and wonderful thing yeah but we, we we didn't want we didn't mean to set up a charity we meant to just hand over some money and then we were told by default is the best kind. Yeah, we were told that there was no charity in operation so we thought oh okay so we'll set up a charity then and we set up a charity we meant to do one cycle and then it turned into okay we'll do one a year and then people started saying actually we want to help and we had people started to give us money and raise fundraising for us and awareness grew and so well oh okay then this will have to go on a little bit longer and we were very happy obviously to be able to help people and to have the opportunity to be able to and initially Fiona so to really give back yeah we're 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 kind of different people I'm very um, clinical and I'd say hello we're going to sponsor your cycle. Goodbye. <laughs> Whereas Fiona would You're the get, scientist. she'd get You'd too get emotional to, to be able yeah. to do that because it was people on the end of the line started crying and there was an awful lot of, as you can imagine, people that had no expectation of being able to do this were suddenly being given a cycle and they couldn't cope. So she couldn't cope with the the, the emotional, so emotional and and, exactly and I was so very emotional. look just stop stop that crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. We don't want to know if they have been successful because it's uh, to give them a helping hand. The idea that um, when you're trying to have a baby and you you've, the the cycle fails, you're not you don't fail, but you feel like a failure if the cycle has failed. And we made it clear that we didn't want to hear back whether the cycle was success or not, not because we didn't want to know. We love to know. We didn't have. want them to feel like they had also failed us. Okay, and it's added pressure as well. Yeah, mm. you don't want. It's not. This is only an opportunity to try to have a baby. It's not a baby. I remember being on a radio program once and they said, oh, they're giving away these babies. And I'm like, oh. eh, they're Onks. giving away a medical procedure. It's medicine. It's not a baby. It's our, not a guarantee. Exactly. Our logo says um, infertility is not a choice, but treatment should be. You Absolutely. should have an option of Absolutely. getting to the doctor and getting treatment. Ireland is one of the very, very few countries in Europe that don't offer IVF uh, st- as to a public. standard. As a yeah, standard, we're up there with Poland option. and Lithuania. I mean, we're in great company here. So we have our rules went through. We have repealed the eight, and now it's time to put the legislation in that has been promised and it is underway and uh, make medical treatment for women's fertility and people. men's fertility. 
there available for everybody. Absolutely. And Alina, there's still, though, a real stigma attached that I know people can have, like, not only personally, but even within a relationship. And a lot of the work you do is actually guiding a relationship through the treatment, not just an individual. Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing more men now, by the way. Uh, men have really come out of the woodwork. And certainly, they're, I mean, we're a pronatalist society. So the first question is, do you have kids? Uh, which is lovely and sweet, but it's not helpful, as we said earlier. Um, and within a relationship, you know, sometimes uh, one partner really wants kids and the other isn't, you know, terribly there yet. And particularly if there isn't an underlying condition and they're just kind of, you know, going along and wondering, you know, shall we now and mm-hmm. all of that. And then actually getting into it. And, you know, the the, the heartache of realising it's not happening. What do we do next? You know, trying to find the way, you know, there's no project management generally, you know, the sense of, OK, we're there's starting There's no rule book. So exactly. it's so difficult for and people. And people are navigating, people become experts. And so the, it takes a huge toll on the sex life. I mean, for starters, the fun play and eroticism goes completely out the window. The posted on the fridge, you know, he's he's on, on, on the iPad looking at BBC News. She's on Facebook and it's kind of like half time, getting late, great need to do the deed. This. And then as somebody said to me five minutes later, He's back on the BBC or the RT News and I'm back on Facebook. I have to share my story about this because it's really funny. I remember my husband and I I talked to him about it last night. He picked a fight with me one day when we were supposed to be having intercourse because we needed to because we'd taken the medicine and it had to happen. And that pressure on him manifested as he picked an argument over I can remember it being over nothing. I can't remember what it was over, but I remember it being over nothing. And I remember looking at him and thinking to myself, hmm, I know what he's doing. He's picking a fight in order to, and uh, this is what it is. Now, my reaction was, I better fight back. Because if I don't fight back, he'll know that I know that he knows. (laughs) And so I have to fight back just enough that we can make up and then we can get the sex. Because I was thinking, I see what you're doing. I'm getting my sex anyway. We had the little fight. We made up. I had my intercourse in yeah. order to have my baby. Yeah. And then I remember Having as soon as turning over and saying, <laughs> oh, and by the way. <laughs> yeah, the pressure on guys, they can, you know, quite often be in charge of the financial end of things and keeping an eye in the long term. You know, the sense of when do we stop? How can we keep this constant hemorrhage of money? They're the ones keeping the tabs and receipts. Um, and for them, you know, a lot of times it's kind of the Viagra because, you know, erectile dysfunction, temporary erectile dysfunction is really, really common. And then they feel really bad. I only have one job to do a month or, you know, in the clinic yeah. and I can't even manage that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sense of distress in seeing their dearly beloved other half going through all of this, mm. the injections and the, dates with Wanda, and, and everything. the impotency of their inability to help. And it's not Absolutely. erectile Absolutely. dysfunction, but they're, all across the their board. feelings of impotence and, in know, the relationship of not being able to do anything. And not being able this. to get the woman pregnant. I mean, mm. this sounds as basic as can be, but mm. for blokes, it actually is that elemental in ways. And I mean, I know we're all very civilised and everything, but the guys can't can feel fix very... Her pain. Yeah, can't they can fix feel her very heartache. sidelined. He sees her with a, heart, a, a broken heart and he can't make her happy. Regardless of making her pregnant, yeah. he can't make her happy. It's, which is devastating. devastating. And I think as well, whatever, and you'd agree, I'd say, Alison as well, whatever about women finding it difficult to talk about stuff. Um, you know, you were very open about it. For men to say, uh, you know, we can't have a baby and it's 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 my end, I think is is 
really you don't really hear it. It's not that it's not happening. It's that it's so difficult for men to talk about. I think I protected Ron as much as I could throughout mm. it all. We mm. chatted about this last night as well, you know. He said, I, I don't think so. I said, well, I didn't bring you to an awful lot of the appointments. Yeah. Um, But actually, it was madness because when I let him in, he was actually the best support. Absolutely brilliant. And that's what a lot of guys find. It's like, well, she's going off. She has the appointments. I don't upset her. And it's like, no, you need to be on the same page. You need to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. And then I find actually... um. You know, people say, gosh, infertility tears couples apart. I find oh, no. couples are much, much stronger, much, much, much stronger. Yeah, yeah. Having been through Which that. It's actually a great thing to hear. Yeah. It really is. And you know the sense of, um, and even, you know, actually, I, I obviously use hypnosis, hypnobirthing for people preparing for birth. I think they deserve a really good birth and a really nice mm. postnatal period after everything. Um, and the fact that, uh, you know, that is a walk in the park for them. That, you know, the early days, the the nights and whatever, they take it all in their stride and the sense of really being focused that this is where they're at, where they wanted to be and enjoying mm-hmm. their their babies. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, in a way that, you know, the doom and gloom about, oh, I, I think uh, couples really get far, far stronger. You make so, a note uh, yeah. that uh, you said you had uh, PICOS and you recommend that women make sure to check your fertility. There is a danger and I've seen it amongst some people, um, some women I've talked to, they had a medical issue. They knew they had endo. They knew they had PICOS. So they went in knowing that they were going to have fertility issues. All the concentration was put on the woman with the endo and the PICOS and all of that. And in the background, and in there the was, background, an, issue there was the an issue with the man. Because it's usually the it's usually shared pathology. It's a meeting of pathologies. Yeah. They may be slightly subclinical. Um, so I think you're dead right Just there. Make sure to keep an eye on all of getting balls. checked yes. early. Yeah. So I'm not sure that's your take home that, message for people yeah. would be get if you if there's something in your head, go and get it checked out if you well, can. If you as, can. You, as I said, you might think that it's all you. So you might yeah. think that like this yeah. is my issue and yeah. you're holding the burden. That's happened to a client then, of mine the other day. Mm. She's in Lister after five clinics and six years. I said, has anybody ever done a DNA fragmentation mm. or a testicular scan? No. Mm. She had it done in London, phoned me and said. That's what it was. Yeah. It's amazing. I think we could actually do about 12 podcasts just on this. Like it's fascinating. And I really hope people at home have gained a little bit of peer support from us actually sharing our stories and a bit of hope as well. You know, that things can not be as difficult as you might think. And hopefully there is, you know, a very good prize at the end of it. But I'm also very conscious of the fact that there are people going through this who aren't ever successful, who go through this journey and they don't get a baby at the end of it. They go through years and years of, um, you know, pain and treatments and they don't get that happy ending. And I really want to acknowledge that in this space because I think it's really, really important to say that. And also to say at home, if you're feeling that these issues are affecting you, go and seek out help. Go and get checked. Go and speak to your peers. Go and speak to your GP. There is help there and and very important to mention pomegranate as well um, as a you know really good source and all of the forums as well to get that get that support and help. Um, so thank you so much to my wonderful panel. I mean, I've certainly learned a lot and I'm really, really grateful for your honesty. It's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, and Helena, the work that you do is is really just amazing. Um, so we're here and on the Family Friendly HQ website, we'll have information of pe- for people to access. Um, but do reach out if you're struggling, seek help. Lastly, you can surpri- subscribe to the Motherboard podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to rate and review as we'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks so much and hope everyone has a great day.
Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loop, the new and extended baby range. <laughs>